If you were puzzled by our first reading, that's understandable. I would liken our first reading to the final chapter of a book or the last act of a play. It's a conclusion. The problem with beginning at the end, at the conclusion, is that the final chapter in the book, the last act of a play, it only makes sense in light of what came before it. So what preceded the few verses that make up our first reading? Our first reading is taken from 2 Kings chapter 5 in the Old Testament, and really the tail end of chapter 5. The beginning of that chapter introduces us to a man named Naaman. Naaman is not an Israelite. He is a Syrian. He's a warrior. In fact, he is the commander of his king's army. And he's good at what he does. He's been victorious on numerous campaigns, even campaigns, battles against Israel. He is considered a great man in his country, highly esteemed by all, and he contracts leprosy. And we don't have to be biblical scholars to know that would be a devastating diagnosis in the ancient world. It meant ultimately you would die a painful death. But more painful still would be just the being a, a social outcast from family, from friends, from society because of this disease. That being said, Naaman is not without hope. His wife <clears throat> has a slave girl, a slave girl from Israel, and she tells her <clears throat> there's a prophet in Israel who can cure Naaman of his leprosy. Naaman takes this advice, and long story short, he winds up at the house of Elisha the prophet, waiting and ready to be healed. Elisha sends a servant out who tells Naaman, all right, here's what you do. You go, you wash in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be cured. Naaman is infuriated. It's worth, it's worth reading what he says. He says, I thought that for me he would surely come out and call on the name of the Lord his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Then he goes on and says, Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? If I could be cured in the Jordan, surely I could be cured in the rivers of my homeland. However, Naaman has a very wise servant who pulls his master aside and says, Listen, if the prophet had asked you to do something difficult... Would you have done it? Absolutely. Ask someone with a terminal illness, what would you do to be cured? Many of them say, I'll do anything. You want me to scale a mountain? I'll scale a mountain. So the servant reasons, when he asks you to do something simple and easy, why won't you do that? Naaman's persuaded, goes to the river. That's where our first reading begins. He washes, heals, gives thanks to God. Now, I just went through that whole chapter pretty much for this reason. Let's ask this question. How was Naaman healed? Was it the water? Is there something in the water, some property that instantaneously cures leprosy? Well, of course not. If that was the case, leprosy would be of no concern. It'd be a quick fix. Oh, you have leprosy again. Go back to the Jordan. It takes care of it right away. It's not the water. What about Elisha? Does he have some power? To heal? Not in and of himself he doesn't. It's God who heals him. 
But what's interesting is how God chose to heal Naaman. You know, think of, think of all the many ways Jesus heals people in the gospel. Think of the centurion, right? He says, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says the word and his servant is healed. God could have done that here, but he chose to heal Naaman through an outward sign, the, rivers, uh, the river Jordan, the waters of the river Jordan. The outward sign of those waters, that was the channel through which this healing grace was given to Nauman, uh, Nauman. Excuse me, not Nauman, Naaman. He sounds too much like our archbishop. The name's too similar to that. What does that sound like? That sounds like a sacrament. I mean, a sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ that gives grace. So Naaman's healing in the Jordan it points forward to the reality of sacraments that Christ will bring. The grace that Jesus wins for us on Calvary, he willed that the ordinary way it would be applied to individual souls is through these seven sacraments, these seven outward signs he instituted. Let's think of baptism. I mean, Naaman washing in the Jordan, it does it serve as something of an image of baptism. Naaman is healed of the physical infirmity of leprosy in the waters of the Jordan. We are healed of the spiritual infirmity of sin in the waters of baptism. Or think of Naaman's objection to the prophet's instruction. You know, he's enraged because of the simplicity of the remedy. He was expecting something more spectacular. Well, baptism is a profoundly simple ritual. Water is poured, sometimes we use immersion, and the Holy Trinity is invoked. But in that profoundly simple ritual, a soul is completely transformed. A son or daughter of Adam becomes a son or daughter of God in Jesus Christ. Original sin, the leprosy of the soul, is wiped away, and we are the, become the inheritors of heaven. And this is true, this dynamic of, uh, is true in every sacrament, that God takes what is simple and humble and unspectacular, water, bread, wine, oil, and uses them to give us the greatest of gifts. However, there is, of course, a key difference between Naaman's case and the sacraments. Naaman washed himself in the Jordan, and immediately, physically, he's healed. There's a physical effect that he can see. When we attend a baptism, we see the pouring of water or immersion. We see the Trinity invoked. We do not see with our eyes the transformation of that soul. When we go to confession, we do not see our sins fall away, fall off, as Naaman saw his leprosy fall off or be washed away. When we go to Mass and come in line for communion, the priest holds up a host and says, the body of Christ, our eyes see what to all accounts looks like bread. But in reality and truth, it is, it is really, truly, substantially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Perhaps this invisible quality explains why it can be easy for us to forget the great gift we're given in the sacraments. You know, we have a tendency to, too often to be like the nine lepers in our gospel today. 
who uh, received the gift without showing the requisite gratitude. And I'm speaking to myself first and foremost. I can't remember a time uh, recently or maybe even ever where I bent my knee and thanked God for the baptism that I received as a one-month-old infant, right? The greatest of gifts. You know, it's interesting in our gospel that it's a foreigner, a Samaritan, like Naaman the Syrian, who returns to give thanks to God. And, and, and both of their responses is grateful worship. You know, Naaman is converted by his experience. He stops worshiping the pagan gods in Syria and devotes himself solely to worshiping the Lord, the God of Israel. The Samaritan returns and falls to the feet of Jesus. He's giving him homage. He's worshiping him as he thanks him. What this means, what our readings are saying, is that true worship, um, devout worship is the best way we can express gratitude to God. Right? And the central act of worship is the Mass. Right? The Mass, yes, it is an obligation, but it's also a way that when we devoutly participate in it, we are giving thanks to God. And, you know, if it sounds like, all right, I'm not sold on this idea, let me tell you a story about St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, once she was overwhelmed with God's goodness, and she asked our Lord, how can I ever repay you? How can I ever thank you for this? And Jesus replied, attend one Mass. It sounds so simple. It sounds too good to be true, yet it is true. God gives us the greatest of gifts in the sacraments, these rites that heal us and sanctify us in the most simple and humble of ways. And then to express our gratitude, we only need to give him the true worship of devoutly participating in the Mass. Let us, like Naaman, realize our need for healing and frequent the sacraments. (coughs) And let us always be ready to be grateful for the spiritual gifts God pours out upon us in abundance.